You're listening to a podcast by Abide Church and Pastor Dan DeBell in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We pray this podcast helps you live, love, and look more like Jesus this week. Enjoy the message. Hey, today we're continuing in our series called The Fruit, and we're talking all about the fruit of the Spirit. So let's look at our key verse here. It's Galatians 5, verse 22 and 23. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is, in fact, say it with me, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These are the fruits of the Spirit. These are things that we don't produce in ourselves. We bear the fruit. God sources the fruit to us. So I can't try to be more patient. No, the best and the purest form of patience is when I stay close to Jesus, I abide in him and his spirit produces patience in me. That's how all of these fruit work. So any, any of the fruit up here that um, is selfish, I'm, I'm being patient so I can get something from somebody. I'm being kind so they'll be kind back to me. If that's my motivation, that is false fruit. That's not spiritual fruit. That's the fruit of me because it's selfish. The fruit of the Spirit is a clear channel. It's a source that God uses. I'm just a channel for Him to produce this in my life. But it's my job to bear it and to share it with other people. It's my job to bear it and to share it with other people. So today we're talking all about kindness. We're going to be talking all about kindness today. Um, Biblical kindness is not just being nice. You know, a few weeks ago when I was beginning to prepare for this message, in my mind I'm just like, I got a whole message on kindness, you know. Hey, be nice. You know, your parents tell you that ever? Like, hey, just be nice. Just, you know, you're driving, you're on a road trip, you're driving, you turn around, just be nice, right? Like that, that's, what, that's what we could say, but I, I, as I dove into it a little bit more, uh, the commandment, uh, be nice, is not in Scripture. It's not in there. The word nice is not in there. Yeah, you need to be a nicer person. That's not, we don't see that in Scripture. No, a biblical kindness is much more than just being nice. Uh, being nice is simply don't be mean. That's what we're saying. And kindness is not that. Kindness is not, hey, just don't be mean. Biblical kindness has a much deeper meaning and a much deeper root than that. God has called us to bear kindness and to share kindness that confounds the world, that the world will look at you and you would be in stressful, tough situations, but you would be able to handle yourself with poise and with kindness. And the world will look to you and they would say, man, how are you? How are you keeping it together? Well, it's the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of me. I can have kindness in this situation because God is producing it in me. So let's dive into it. The first one is this. Biblical kindness stands out. If you're taking notes, that's the first fill in the blank. Biblical kindness stands out. Uh, the fruit of the Spirit is the character of God on display in our lives. It's the character of God on display in our lives. God is all of the fruit of the Spirit. He is love. He is patience. He is faithfulness. He is the ultimate example of self-control. He is these things, and he wants to produce his character in us. And because of that, the fruit, the fruit should cause us to stand out from the world. If I'm living my life in such a way that I blend in with the evil and the dark, corrupt world around me, I'm not producing the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit should cause me to look drastically different than my co-workers that aren't walking with Christ, than my neighbors who don't know Jesus. I should look drastically different, not a little bit different, drastically different. Let me show you. In Matthew 5, verse 13, Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. 
But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. What is our command here? To change and to stand out everywhere that we go. Right? No, no one of us would put flavorless seasoning on my steak, on your food. It's a waste of time. It's what? It's worthless. And that's what Jesus is saying. If I say that I'm a believer, but I don't taste like, look like, shine like a believer, like Jesus would, Jesus says, it's worthless. What I'm saying and how I'm living, it, is, it does not add up to what God has for us. And his grace is not an invitation to continue sinning. The grace of God says it's, an invita- it's, it's not a pass to continue sinning. The grace of God is an invitation to live righteously. Hey, I'm calling you to a new level. I'm calling you to be salt everywhere that you go. I'm calling you to be a shining light everywhere that you go. That's my command for you. But if I'm mean and if I'm brutal and I'm harsh, just like the world around me, I've lost my saltiness and I've lost my light. If people hate to work with me at work because I am never kind and I'm always harsh and I'm always mean, I've lost my saltiness and I've lost my light. I'm no longer a light in a dark place. And our words play a huge part in this. I shared the scripture last week, but we're going to look at it again. This one's in Matthew, Matthew 12, verse 36. It says, and I tell you this, you must give an account on judgment day for every idle word you speak. The words you say will either acquit you or condemn you. That's a harsh thing. Our culture would tell you that words are just words, and it's okay if you say something, and it's okay just, how, you know, just be mindful of how you say it. It's not that big of a deal. But God's word says that our words will either acquit us or condemn us. Why? The scripture says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So what I'm saying and how I'm saying it in front of people or behind closed doors shows the condition of my heart. If I'm running my mouth, I'll say, well, I'm just careful what I say at church, but when I'm at home or I'm correcting my kids, whenever I'm at the job site, if I'm running my mouth, Scripture says I give an account for every idle word. That's every idle word I say, text, post, email, share. I'm the source of it. I'm a channel for it. What is an idle word? It's a, it's a careless word. I, one pastor said it this way, a word that you didn't labor over in your heart. Here's what that means. You didn't submit it to the word of God before saying it. You let your flesh control your mouth. And you're running your mouth, and God says it's an idle, careless, worthless word. You didn't labor over it. You didn't submit it to his word before allowing it to come out of your mouth. Now, let's take heart here. Sometimes we have good intentions when we do this. Sometimes we just blurt things out because we have a good intention, or maybe we have a a righteous anger about a situation, and we speak out, but we speak before submitting it to God, and we miss what God's doing in the spiritual, because all we see is what's in the natural. This is what happened to Jesus and his disciples. Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to go to the cross. He's laying out the plan, and then Peter rises up, and he says, I don't think so. He says, I'm going to, hey, if anybody comes for you, I'm going to stop them from getting you. Basically saying, I'm going to stop God's plan for what he has for you. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew, uh, in Matthew 16. He says, Jesus turned and he said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That'll get your attention, right? 
Come on, Jesus. I'm just, I'm trying to protect you, right? Get behind me, Satan. What does he say? You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. And this is what we do. I may have a righteous anger. That may be a good thing that I'm angry about because it's sin or it's wrong, but so many times we speak up too quickly and we don't submit that word to the word of God before allowing it to come out. And see, what happens is we actually lose our testimony in doing so. Jesus said, you're a stumbling block to me, to, to me. Peter jumps to conclusions without taking it into consideration what God is doing. And he says, Jesus is saying simply, if you, if you run your mouth, if you live your life that way, you will constantly be a stumbling block to everyone around you. People are trying to pursue Jesus. And maybe you've been walking with God for a long time, but you cannot control your mouth. All I'm doing, and I have good intentions sometimes, but what I'm doing is I'm actually causing people to stumble in their walk with God because I'm quick to speak and I'm slow to listen when it should be the opposite. Quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. That's, that's my job. Am I submitting my words to the word of God? Now, this does not mean that we do not speak up when there are things that are wrong going on in our culture, going on in our schools, going on in our world. No, we, we do speak up. There are, but there's a time and a place. The reason I say we speak up, because there are times when Jesus made whips and drove people out of the temple and flipped tables, right? Come on. That's the kind of Jesus I can get behind, right? Like, hey, let's, what are you guys doing? I don't think so. Let's start flipping some tables. Get them out of here. Love it. But also, the same Jesus, what did he do? The same Jesus... He flipped tables, but he held his tongue when his father did not permit him to speak while he was being falsely accused. When is the, naturally, when's the, the, the easier time for us to flip tables and run our mouth if someone's falsely ac- accusing me? But Jesus had no idle word. He had no idle word. He submitted every word to his father. So he knew, is it a time to flip tables? Or, Lord, am I supposed to keep my mouth shut right here? There's a time and a place. It does not mean we don't speak up against things. No, we do, but I submit it to God, and I seek his wisdom on when and how am I supposed to do that. And sometimes you've got to flip some tables. Come on, somebody. But when we do that, look, we, we, uh, we, we get to a place where we are walking and we are choosing to put on kindness. It's a choice. Let's look at Colossians 3.12. It says, since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourself. Clothe yourself. Whose responsibility? Mine. Uh, kindness in my heart just isn't going to fall out of, the, you know, out of the sky. Well, I'm just feeling kind today. That's not how it works. I clothe myself in these things. What does he say? Clothe yourself with tenderhearted mercy, with kindness, with humility, with gentleness, and patience. And when we choose every day to put on those clothes, to put on those spiritual clothes, I will look drastically different than the world around me. But it's just like you coming to church today. You picked out the clothes that you were going to wear. Maybe some of you husbands, your wife picked it out, but you chose to put it on. You chose to put on that shirt. You chose to get dressed the way that you are today. It's the same way spiritually. What am I going to choose to put on today? So practically, here's what this looks like. When I walk in kindness, in biblical kindness, I stand out because I'm adaptable. I become adaptable. When I'm putting on kindness, I become adaptable, and I forfeit the right to say statements like this. Well, that's just not my personality. That's just not my gifting. Right? Here's an example. 
Your spouse needs help getting the kids ready in the morning. But you say, well, I'm just not a morning person. When the fruit of kindness is being sourced in you and produced in you, you forfeit that right to say that statement. Because that's, Jesus wouldn't say that statement. He would serve. How can I help? How can I step in? Well, my kid, maybe your kids, they need you to sit on their bed and listen to them and talk to them about the problems they're facing. But you say, well, I just don't know. I'm just not comfortable in those situations. I really don't know what to say. I don't know how to handle it. When kindness is produced in your life, you forfeit the right to say those excuses. Meaning this, when we let the fruit of the Spirit be produced in us, we grow up spiritually. We mature. It's the same way in the natural when it comes to leadership, right? An uh, immature leader avoids conflict. I don't know how to handle it. I don't know what to say. But as you grow in leadership, you realize I better lean into conflict. If there's conflict, I will lean into it because I want to bring resolve to it. I want to end it. I want to shine light on it. I want to help fix it however I can. It's the same way when it comes to the spiritual things of God. When I let him and I draw close with him, I stay close with him, I become more and more like Jesus. And in doing so, I produce the fruit of the spirit. And when we abide in him, his kindness shows up in our lives. And I find myself doing things that aren't in my nature to do. And friends, that's the whole point. That's the whole point of the series. I find myself doing things that's not in my nature to do. Why? It's the fruit of the spirit, not the fruit of me. It's the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruit of me. So what? The fruit of kindness, biblical kindness, stands out in our world. Point number two is this. Biblical kindness leads to change. Second fill in the blank today is biblical kindness leads to change. And the first thing we have to realize, I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but we have to remind ourselves, we serve a God who is kind. We serve a God who is kind. No matter and that's the truth, no matter what you've heard or what you've been taught or what you've even experienced in your life, we serve a God who is kind. Let me show you a few examples. Exodus 34 verse 6 says, Yahweh, a merciful and gracious God, he is slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness and truth. Jeremiah 9 says this, those who boast should boast in this, that they understand and know me. This is the Lord speaking. He says, I am the Lord who acts with kindness, justice, and righteousness in the world. We have to remind ourselves, it's God's kindness that leads people to change, that leads people. It's the catalyst for change in people's lives. In fact, it reminds me of, uh, there's a, a movie, a Christmas movie that came out a few years ago. I think it's on Netflix. It's called Klaus. It's with a K, Klaus. And in this movie, they have this statement that they make. And in this statement, they simply say this, one selfish, selfish uh, hang on, let me try again. One selfless act of kindness always sparks another. And it's one of those lines where it's just like, oh, that makes you feel good, right? Yeah, yeah, that's good. But it was also a great reminder that Hollywood is not that creative, okay? That all they do, if you ever watch a movie that Hollywood produces and you feel good afterwards, it, they usually take a biblical truth and they spin it just a little bit where it makes it look like they came up with the line or they came up with the, the, the concept or the principle. That's all this, this quote is. The first time you hear it, you're just like, oh, yeah, that's great. Man, it feels so good, you know, to hear that. One selfless act of kindness always sparks another. But we have to remind ourselves, this is, has been in Scripture for thousands of years. The kindness of God is what sparks or catalyst, it's the catalyst for change in our heart. This is what Romans 2.4 says. 
Can't you see that God's kindness, his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? That's what scripture says. Look at Titus 3. It says, once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and we became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated each other. But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and his love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Biblical kindness leads to change. When I understand and when I experience the kindness of God, when I did not deserve it, it changes my heart. It helps me repent. It helps me change my thinking. It helps me turn from the things that would enslave me that are against God's word. God's kindness leads to change. And when I remember, I remind myself how kind God has been to me. It changes how I do things. It changes how I speak. It changes how I think. It changes how I approach my time in prayer with him. God's kindness then in me and then through me will actually help change the, life of, uh, the lives of people around me. When I don't just remind myself of his goodness and his kindness to myself, but I let his kindness be a flow through me to other people, God can use his kindness to change other people and to begin to open their eyes to the goodness of God and who he really is. But God's kindness is not, again, it's not a passive thing. It's not just something that just kind of comes and goes and, oh, I kind of have this, you know, this butterfly feeling and I remember how good God's been. No, it's, it's an active thing. It's much more of an active thing than we ever could, could imagine. It's something I got to choose to put on. It's something I have to choose to act in. Uh, I think it was last week I shared how there was a time when I was bivocational. And for a season there, I, I worked at Chick-fil-A. It was the Lord's Chicken. Come on, somebody. And I worked at Chick-fil-A for a little bit. And it was amazing. When I, when I started working there, I realized quickly nearly every employee there had an issue or drama with another employee or multiple employees. So the managers would have to schedule and position people in position so they weren't working next to the person that they had a grudge or drama with, so there wouldn't be drama during the shift. And I, my first thought was, what grade are we in here? Like, what are we doing here, y'all? Like, are we adults? Let's be, let's be adults. That's a different message, but uh, maybe not really. It's kind of the same message. But anyway, I, I showed up and I made a decision that I'm going, to, I'm going to work at this job with all of my heart. And really quickly, I, I did almost every position there, and I had no drama with anyone. The managers knew they could schedule me wherever. They could put me in any position. And even if I wasn't the greatest at it, I would do it with a good attitude. And I'm, even if I, I was working with somebody that I didn't really like, I chose kindness and I chose maturity. I chose to be kind even when I worked with people that acted foolish. And you're going to work with people that act foolish. You know what I'm talking about? But I've got to make a choice. How am I going to treat that person that is acting this way, that just doesn't get it, am I choosing to represent Jesus well? Here's why this is important. It's much more than just be nice to that person that's a, that's a fool. That's not what I'm saying. I refuse to make someone else the Lord of my day. Here's what I mean. The Lord of your day, they affect your day, they guide your day, and they give direction for your day. Okay? That's what we do when we let others ruin our day. 
when I'm going through my life and someone's one action or what they said to me, and it may be mean and it may not be nice, but what they have done to me, if I allow it to ruin my day, I've made a human the Lord of my day. They're guiding it. They're directing it. They're giving direction for it. They're telling me how my life is going to go today. And I refuse to let anyone be the Lord of my day except for Jesus. And when my eyes stay on him and not the, the foolishness of other people, I can walk in kindness and I continue to produce biblical fruit. And for all the young people in the room, do not be the person that you go to job, your work or your job and you have drama. Don't be that person, okay? Because quickly, if you don't have drama, you will be promoted and you will find success. No one wants to work with somebody that's always causing drama, always has an issue with somebody else. Let's grow up a little bit in the Lord. Let's be a great representation of Jesus everywhere that we go. So kindness, God's kindness through me, it changes me. And when I remember that, it changes me. But now I'm going to choose to let his kindness change others through me. And here's how I let it do that. In Psalm 106, it says this, Our ancestors in Egypt, they were not impressed. They were not impressed by the Lord's miraculous deeds. How sad is that? They soon forgot his many acts of kindness to them. Instead, they rebelled against him at the Red Sea. Humans are quick to forget. They saw God's miraculous hand time and time again. They forgot his kindness. And when we forget the kindness of God, it ruins our walk with God. I've got to constantly remind myself, Lord, I know you've been good. I know that you are kind. And we are called to remember and to be in remembrance of God's kindness. Because when I remember his kindness and I never forget it, that is what changed me. When I get comfortable with how good God's been to me, that's when I drift back into my old life, into my own sin, and into, well, it's not that big of a deal but I will remember the kindness of the sacrifice that was made to forgive me and to free me from where I came from. That's where I walk in purity and I choose. No, I know how big of a deal is that, that God sacrificed himself in loving kindness for me when I did not even deserve it. When I do that, when I remind myself, it produces kindness in us. And in doing so, it'll change my life and the people's lives around me. And when I think of that word or that phrase, be kind, I'm reminded of a simpler time in the 90s when we would go to this amazing store called Blockbuster. Come on, somebody. Anybody had the Blockbuster membership card? Like the OG in here. Come on, somebody. Like the Blockbuster card. We would go there and we would rent these bricks called VHS tapes. You know what I'm talking about? The thing about the VHS tape is you'd have to rewind it. You'd have, if you didn't rewind it, and it was always the worst, right? You'd go to Blockbuster, you'd rent the, the brick, and you'd get home, and you, all you want to do is play it but you would get home and it was not rewound. And ooh, man, you could say some naughty words about the guy that ran this before me. What, what, what is their problem? They are so inconsiderate, right? And so what Blockbuster did is they said, hey, we got a great idea. We're gonna fix the issue with the rewind problem. And they came up with this little phrase right here and they put it on all the VHS tapes. Be kind, please rewind, right? You wanna watch Toy Story? The VHS, hey, hey, make it a good experience for the next guy. Just be kind, rewind right? And this little catchy phrase, it caught on, and they would have it everywhere. They had it on every VHS tape, and it was a reminder, hey, be considerate of other people. Are you looking for ways around other people? But when I think of that, that word rewind, that's what we must do in remembering God's goodness. 
I've got to choose. Our attitude, my actions, my, my life, it will change. And it is changed when I go back, when I rewind, when I remember God's acts of kindness toward me. Be kind, rewind. Rewinding, remembering, going back and remembering is the first step to truly letting his kindness do a work in me. And you may say, Pastor Dan, I can't think of a time when God's been kind to me. Maybe your life has been tough. And maybe you don't feel like you have a testimony. You don't know. You don't really understand it. I want to show you from Scripture how God has been kind to you personally. And point number three is this. Jesus is God's kindness in action. Jesus is God's kindness in action. And I'm going to give you a picture of this by reading a story from the Old Testament. It's about King David. And King David, he served the king before him. Before he was king, he served King Saul. And King Saul had a son named Jonathan. Jonathan and David were best friends. Well, on the same day, King Saul and Jonathan were both killed. Eventually, some time passes, David becomes king. And as he becomes king, he begins to ask some questions. And here's where we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 9, verse 3. It says this, the king, this is David, he asked, Is there no one still alive from the house of Saul to whom I can show God's kindness? Ziba answered the king, who was the servant of Saul. Ziba answered the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is lame in both feet. He was dropped when he was a baby and he broke his legs and he was lame, unable to walk. Where is he? The king asked. Ziba answered, he is at the house of Makir, son of Amiel and Lodabar. So King David had him brought from Lodabar, from the house of Makir, son of Amiel. When Mephibosheth, man, don't you love Bible names? Mephibosheth. When Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, the son of Saul came to David, he bowed down to pay him honor. And David said, Mephibosheth, at your service, he replied. Don't be afraid, David said to him. Let me stop there for a second. That's significant because many times when a new king would take over, the new king would destroy the bloodline of the previous king just to ensure that there wouldn't be a rise up from a distant relative to come and try to claim the throne from them. There would be no threat to his kingship. And so for him, Mephibosheth could have been coming to this situation thinking, I've been in hiding all of these years. My time has finally come. David's found me. He's going to kill me because I'm the last of my bloodline. Don't be afraid. For I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. Remember that. I will restore to you all the land that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Verse 8, Mephibosheth, he bowed down and he said, what is your servant that you should notice a dead dog like me? Then the king summoned Ziba, Saul's steward, and he said to him, I have given your master's grandson everything that belonged to Saul and his family. You and your sons and your servants are to farm the land for him and bring in the crops so that your master's grandson may be provided for. Now, let me show you something. Oftentimes when we read Old Testament specifically, we like to identify with the good guy. Okay, yeah, we need to be like King, King David. We need to be kind to people that have wronged us because King Saul tried to kill David. We need to be kind. In this story, we are not King David. 
you and me, we are Mephibosheth. We're Mephibosheth. Let me explain. Mephibosheth, he was a castaway. He was lame and he was sick and he was undeserving of help. Culture would have looked at him and said, you don't deserve because you can't contribute. You don't deserve to have any part of our culture. You don't get any right to what we're doing. He had no claim to the king's table. You and me, we were dead in our sins. Undeserving of any righteous or good thing. No claim to the king's table. But David honored King Saul by showing kindness. What does it say? For the sake of Saul's son, Jonathan. And why does God show us his kindness? It's not because of us. It's not because I'm great. It's not because I've, I've earned it. God shows his kindness to us because of his son, Jesus. And what does he do then? His kindness is revealed and God takes us sick, lame, cast away, undeserving, and he seats us at his table and he gives us his inheritance. And he says, you have a place here. And our response should be as Mephibosheth, what is your servant that you would do this for a dead dog like me? And Jesus looks at you today and he says, you are not dead anymore. I'll raise you to life. I will seat you with me at my table because you're great. No, because I've already paid for it. (laughs) Jesus said, I've already paid for it, son. I've already paid for it, daughter. Would you trust me enough to let me lift you and seat you where I believe you belong at my table? You have a right to my kingdom. This is what Ephesians says in Ephesians 2, 6. And God raised us up with Christ and he seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace, how expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's the same. It's a parallel. Everything in the Old Testament is just pointing to Jesus. And if we'll ask the Holy Spirit, show me where Jesus is in the story, he'll show you. I didn't deserve it. You didn't deserve it. But Jesus said, my kindness is greater than what you think you deserve. Let me put you at my table. Let me give you my inheritance. Let me give you my kingdom. And God's kindness is expressed to us through Jesus, even when we didn't deserve it. Now, it's my job to allow his kindness to flow through me to other people. That's the next step. Freely I've received, now freely I will give. And that's what Ephesians 4.32 says. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I've received. Lord, let me bear your fruit. Let me have it so I can share it with other people. And that's the goal. I didn't deserve it, but his kindness was made new in me and it changed my life. And because of that, I will show his kindness to other people. Kindness is so much more than just being nice or don't be mean. It's biblical kindness, it stands out. What does it mean? I'm adaptable, I guard my mouth, I take advantage of opportunities to serve people. Biblical kindness leads to change. When I remember how God has been kind to me, it changes me. And then I, do, I share it with other people. Remember, be kind, rewind. Remember his kindness and it will change you and it will work through you. 
Lastly, Jesus is God's kindness in action. I didn't deserve it. There is no way I could earn it, but he is still kind. Man, he's still kind. And God has a spiritual inheritance for you. He says the fullness of the kingdom of God is available to you if you'll choose to receive and believe his kindness in your life. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we thank you, thank you, thank you for your kindness today. We thank you that when we did not deserve it, when we were far from you, scripture says, while we were yet sinners, you died for us. And so Lord, we say thank you. We are grateful today knowing that we are undeserving of your kindness. But Lord, we ask by faith that we could receive it. And for those of us that have walked with you for a long period of time, Lord, I ask that you would help us remember your kindness. Let us never be comfortable with your kindness and overlook your kindness. Be callous to your kindness. Lord, I pray that you would help it remain fresh in our heart so we can remain changed, we can walk in purity, and Lord, so that we can bear the fruit of kindness so we can share it to other people and shine like a bright light in a crooked and a perverse world. I ask you, Lord, would you take this word? Would you let it produce much fruit in our lives this week? In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Abide Church podcast. If you'd like to partner with us financially, or if you're in the Tulsa area and would like to attend our weekly gathering, you can check out abidechurch.com.